Well, Pam, which way are you going? Left or right? Right. Ah, that's too bad. Why? Well, because it was a 50-50 shot on whether you'd be going left or right. You see, we're both going left. You could have just as easily been going left, too, and if that was the case, it would have been a while before you started getting scared. But since you're going the other way, I'm afraid you're gonna have to start getting scared immediately. <laughs> Silver Jones and joining me of course is our very own Hot Rod Girl, Kim. Hello. Tonight we are going to be talking about Death Roof, the fifth film from Quentin Tarantino. This is um, kind of a unique one as it originally started off as part of a double feature was Grindhouse with Robert Rodriguez's Planet Terror and then the Weinsteins being the assholes that they were thought oh no nobody's getting this idea of the double feature so we'll just split the films into two separate features and fuck you Brits because we're, you're not going to see the double feature version so alas here we are with Death Proof as the full version. Uh, which is the version we are going to be discussing tonight, and uh, I have to say this is one of my one of my favourites of the uh, Tarantino filmography. I think Kim is going to disagree great with me, Lee, with me tonight, so this is going to be interesting. <laughs> I, I I don't think I disagree. I'm just very like there are elements that I like about it, and then there are elements that I don't really have a lot of thoughts about, which is going to make it really fun still because. I'm going to be, I don't know what to say <laughs> to things, so we'll see how it goes. Providing the counter-argument tonight. I don't even have a counter-argument, that's the problem. Okay. Like, I don't, I don't even think that, I watched this and I went through it and I was like, oh, well, you know, it was entertaining, but something seemed like it didn't completely work for me and I can't exactly pinpoint what the goal of tonight is that while we talk about this maybe i'll figure it out <laughs> fair enough um well the concept behind uh, quentin tarantino's death roof is he wanted to make a horror movie in particular a slasher where the killer instead of using a knife uses a car and hence death roof was born in which the killer a stuntman known as stuntman mike here played by kurt russell contrives a number of elaborate death scenes for his intended victims as he preys on young women uh, first of all in Austin, Texas and second in Lebanon, Tennessee uh, using his death roof car as the means of um, murder I guess is the uh, way to say but uh, this one's interesting in the fact it pulls a bit of a swerve on us as we're initially introduced to three friends Arlene, Shanna and the radio DJ Jungle Julia who are basically on their way to a hangout in in the uh, town of Austin, Texas. And 
over the course of the, the night, they encounter Stuntman Mike, and while he seems like a harmless uh, type, later turns out to be a psychopath as he kills them in a head-on collision. Fourteen months later, we're introduced to three more young women. If um, Abernathy, the stuntwoman Kim, and uh, actress Lee, um, who team up with their best friend uh, and uh, fellow stuntwoman Zoe, here played by Zoe Bell, playing, I guess, herself. Um, who find themselves again targeted by Stuntman Mike while the uh, trio of them are out test driving a 1970s Dodge Challenger aka the car from Vanishing Point. I really like this I mean this is obviously not only Tarantino doing a horror film but it's also Tarantino paying homage to the great car smash movies of the past and as he likes to say he was throwing his hat in the ring as he didn't want to just go out and make a contribution to the genre he wanted to go out and make a memorable one if not one of the best contributions and in doing so shunned the idea of doing anything involving CGI cars and crashes which had been pretty much at this point regular norm we have things like Fast and Furious and my Max Fury Road was still a bit of a way off, so the last sort of good uh, car smash sort of movies we had was Wolf Creek and uh, the motorway scene in Final Destination 2. And Tarantino was kind of, in many ways, trying, wanting to revive that whole scene and just like shoot a really ridiculous car sequence, which essentially he does here. He makes a film based around a really prolonged car sequence, which. If you're a fan of car smash movies, it's really great. And if you're not, I think this is going to be a little tedious. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I mean, I think the car stuff is not that bad. Like, I'm, you know, I kind of, I kind of enjoy seeing all these, like, um, the idea itself is really good. I think the whole, once you start realizing that the character of Stuntman Mike is is really a psychopath, I think that's when the movie kind of takes a turn. Um, and then you kind of have that feeling of, you know, not sure about when things are going to go down and stuff, right? Um, and and the whole, you know, build up to it. The role of Stuntman Mike originally was going, had been offered to John Travolta, William Defoe, John Malkovich. Mickey Rourke was a real front runner for the longest time, but unfortunately his people sort of held out on um, Tarantino and thought that they could sort of wrangle more money. Um, so he ended up being passed on to Kurt Russell and one of the big inspirations for having Kurt Russell play the role is the fact that Kurt Russell was sort of settled into more sort of family fare at this point and Tarantino was like well when's he going to get back to playing like the you know working man badass that he'd been like in the 80s as like Snake Plissken and Escape from New York and playing like Tango and Cash, Big Trouble in Little China and this was uh, really a chance for him just to get back into those roles but when you look at some of these like castings, I mean, like Bruce Willis was offered, Sylvester Sloan, Ron Perlman, who I think I would like to see Ron Perlman play this. I think that would have been kind of cool. Oh, Ron Perlman would have been interesting. Like it would, he would, he would bring a different style, I think, yeah. but it would still work. Uh, much like someone else that you just listed off that I thought would have been pretty good, also. Bruce Willis or Sylvester uh, Sloan. Not Sylvester Stallone. Bruce Willis might be okay. Um, Mickey Rourke? Yeah, Mickey Rourke would be fine. Uh, and there was someone before him that you mentioned. Uh, John Malkovich? Uh, no, William, William Defoe. Defoe. Oh, William Defoe would be just... <laughs> we know what he can do unhinged really well, so... Oh, man. William Defoe is like the king of being unhinged. Like, he does all kinds of stuff. I still remember last year when I watched... Um, 
this movie in um, Festival du Nouveau Cinema, and it was like this new cinema movie that I, I, what, like, it was so weird. <laughs> and um, it wasn't really like he had an unhinged character, but I think that it was just such a weird role. And then when there was one part where I just thought it was wild. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. yeah, when when I think of him like in this role, my mind just like goes to like um, like Wild at Heart or Streets of Fire, just those sort of like levels of greasy unhingedness. I think this is the thing when you look at each of these people, I think they all would have played it very differently than the way you have with Kurt Russell. The way Kurt Russell plays it, it's sort of like oh yeah, I can see Kurt Russell, you know, aging stuntman who's now taking his stunt car out and going and often committing these horrific murders. Um, and I love the fact his brother's called Stuntman Bob. <laughs> <laughs> who sadly is not seen in this movie, which just would have been really great to see who would have played Stuntman Bob. But one of the big inspirations for Tarantino um, came from a conversation he was having with Sean Penn. And basically Tarantino wanted to buy a Volvo because he didn't want to die in some auto accident like the one we see in Pulp Fiction. And in regards to like car safety Sean Penn said well you could take any car and give it to a stunt team and like for ten thousand to fifteen thousand dollars they can death proof it for you and it was the term death proof that sort of stuck with Tarantino and it's uh why we have the film film we have but this film being such a carryover from its original grindhouse cut there's so many sort of elements that are still in place and we obviously get to see it greatly expanded upon i think it was like a 40 minute cut that we saw in grindhouse to like this 140 minute cut we have here yeah. and there's so many so many of those charming little features are still there they're mainly in the first half of the film when we have the opening and it says like Quentin Tarantino's Thunderbolt and it like quickly cuts away and have the black title card that says Death Proof because a lot of the uh, Grindhouse movies they didn't perform well under one title they just released them under a different title um, for example there's, we were talking before we came on about uh, William Lustig's Vigilante and that was released originally in 82 as Street Gang so you often get these films often released under many different titles I mean there's a number of, like kung fu movies like uh, like five fingers of death it was uh released under a different title as well and uh, certainly a lot of the baby cotton power movies as well so it's kind of fun that he throws in that little homage and you can see like when we look at that first half there's how beat up the film is it sticks in places and yeah. randomly cuts the sequences and when we get to the second half we have a really random black and white um shot which I can only assume is like a reference to Tokyo Drifter again that we saw in like Kill Bill and then it like sort of snaps out into this very nice film stock and I have no idea why he chose to change the film stock for the second half I mean it's only been like 14 months it's not been 14 years <laughs> um, so um so yeah it's it's a little jarring because I was like what's that first time I was like god this film stock's really shitty and I was like, was he always this shitty? Because I remember, like, it'd been a while since I watched it, and I've got a slightly bigger TV now, so maybe it's, like, the benefit of the doubt of watching my small portable TV that everything seemed a little better. But, um... <laughs> the, the lack of definition in the past is what made old movies look really good. And then when oh, you yeah. put them into, like, when you change them to Blu-ray or you update them to, like, the modern TV, it all looks like crap. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, the fuzz of VHS, like, does a lot of old movies it gives them a bit of grace 
and then DVD slightly takes away some of that fuzziness, and then you see Blu-ray, and you like see all like the wires and stuff that nobody's bothered to remove, and it's like, yeah, this isn't as good. <laughs> so you kind of wish that when you buy Blu-ray that you could like change the filters like crappy seventh gen VHS version or something. Um, just to like give the film some nice fuzz. Sort of like why people buy things on vinyl. <laughs> yeah, do that instead of the giving you the option of full screen or widescreen, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just for, you know, nostalgic purposes, it could be good. <laughs> so yeah, you don't hate like... on a movie so much because you're looking at this and you're like, I never realized this just looks so bad, you know? Yeah, um, it just like it'd be like quick switch over to Elwood's TV mode, and it'd just be like burnt <laughs> out in like one corner and stuff, and like, uh, so yeah, yeah, no, but um, I mean, like, I think that I think that the st- the visual styling of how how that's done actually makes the movie um, pretty good. I mean, I. I kind of didn't really notice the back being it uh, being normal film stock. Uh, it was just when you mentioned it now that I remembered. Because <laughs> okay. I think that's what the first part really stood out was that it had those cuts and it was really really obvious in the beginning. Um, like the first first part when you know you you meet stuntman Mike with these three girls and ah uh, the whole like conversation between them and whatnot. And it kind of like, you know, it skips forward and then you have the whole thing going on. And it really adds to that style. I, I think that's what I really liked about the first part. But I thought the first part was so dragging on because I I just couldn't engage into the conversations they were having. Oh, really? I thought it was so boring. Whereas, like, maybe the second half, the benefit is that the second group of girls is all kind of familiar faces. So... Like, people that I've seen nowadays, and they're in their younger roles, and mm. um, it, it was, and I really did like their acting more, and, like, the whole bit they had together, and, and how all of them um, interacted. I found it was more engaging than the first part. But then, obviously, like, it's a different group, so it has different dynamic between between them because obviously the outcome between you know the first group and the second group is drastic <laughs> drastically different right so it i think that's also where you can see the why the different groups have um their different their different dynamics and their different characters if there's a very much a different dynamic between between the two i mean obviously the first one is sort of like you more girls heading out to the lake house so more so your t- traditional sort of slasher fodder and then we get into our second group of more like the tomboyish group who are going to basically they're like the uh, group of foxy chicks so it's like your fox force five uh group um just to talk about that first group though i mean we got uh vanessa Folato, who if you watch this i new york she was in that um we've got sydney portier's daughter or sir sydney portier's daughter as jungle julia um and we also have um, Marcy Harrell as mate as Marcy, who's the uh, chick with the really cool uh, throw that we see. Mm-hmm. Sadly, she's only in the like first Dynasty when she doesn't make it to the bar, and it was like, oh god, why do we? Why does someone talk about how cute Marcy Harrell was in this movie? <laughs> so that was a disappointment to myself. And yeah, I can understand with the first half. It, it's more of a slasher movie. The first half, yeah. just like how it's played out, how the cars. 
um, sort of like tears and stuff when you see like the headlights in the car park and like what Stuntman Mike's deal is. And yes, we get to see Eli Roth attempt to interact. <laughs> Sadly, not for the first time in a Tarantino feature. We also get to see Tarantino cast himself as the uh, bartender Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, I Again, I have nothing against Tarantino's acting a bit. I know there's people out there who think he overacts everything, but I kind of liked him as Warren. But, you know, I think I think Tarantino fits in his roles because he knows what he wants from that role, right? That That's yeah. the perk of acting in a movie that you wrote and you're directing is that you know exactly how you want to portray this. And if you hate it, you can re- you can you can refilm it. Right. So it's not it's not exactly like I, I think that he delivered exactly how he wanted his this bartender to be. Um I have nothing against Tarantino acting. I think that him being in his movies as little cameos is kind of is kind of really fun because now you, you watch these films and you kind of like expect him to be there. So you kind of like try and spot where he's going to pop out for however long it is. We also get to see uh, Michael Bacow as Eli Ross' uh, buddy there. He's uh, as many better known as a screenwriter. He did the screenplay for like Project X, got Pilgrim vs. World, uh, Maniac, mm. um, as in the... Elijah Wood one, not the William Lustig one. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of fun when you start deep diving into like who all these people are in this, and there's some f- interesting moments in there, such as like when you see Jungle Julia's on her phone and she's texting this like mystery person, and I love the fact that the soundtrack like cuts out and it mm. goes to that sort of like love theme, which is um, I think it's like the opening title music to Blowout. Um, that they use there but it's just how it's sort of like he breaks the soundtrack and you have that sort of that theme and then as soon as she looks for her phone it's like back into the jukebox music so there's lots of those little fun bits I like there and this, the actual jukebox in in there is Tarantino's own jukebox he wrote all those cards himself so that's why they got that chicken scratch scroll all over him but yeah it's all these <laughs> records um, it's all uh, his, including his use of um, "We're Down in Mexico," which I actually had at my wedding. <laughs> okay. Just, just because I liked it in this film, and I put it on a mixtape for my now wife, and she really liked it. And uh, I didn't tell her what scene it was in this movie for sure. <laughs> um, and, then, and then I think what was really fun was that you know one of the soundtracks that was an opening or something is the soundtrack of this show. <laughs> Was it the show? It is a show, no? Oh yeah, yeah, funky fanfare, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, um, because uh, the new Beverly, the uh, revival house Tarantino owns, he like opens all all his uh, features with funky fanfare because it's um the old feature of presentation music they used to show between before features, yeah, uh, kind of like the Shaw Brothers trumpet, but yeah, <laughs> I think we're not the only movie podcast out there who uses it. Yeah, to probably, be of course, but. I thought I like I've never seen the movie, so to me it was kind of a fun little Easter egg. Oh, um, nice. But I mean, at the same time, you know, talking about uh, the movie itself, you know, because I watched this on Netflix, right? So yeah. <laughs> I opened it up, and then we had a whole discussion with the husband and I about because he's seen it before, and we own a DVD of it, which seem to not work anymore so i don't know what's going on with that but (laughs) so i can't prove what he's saying but um because when you open the movie there's these like ads that pop out and these like super cheesy ads on top of that like super weird shit and and then it was just like he was he was saying this he was like man 
the DVD had better ads, and I was like, would they really change the ads for <laughs> this version and the DVD version? <laughs> you sure you remember right, type of thing? But that, that's what I'm asking, because, you know, you've, you've seen this before, obviously. Yeah. And is it I'm, I'm sure that's meant for as part of the movie for like the whole experience right oh if you're talking with the uh the little cartoon panther who turns into yeah yeah, 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 yeah 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 that's that's part of the feature yeah um it's because when we look at grindhouse the original uh production it had like fake trailers in between and yeah. um fake commercials and stuff and it added up to this double feature experience so that's where machete came from um, because that's what it opens with. It opened with a trailer for Machete, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, Machete's really cool!" And, and Rodriguez being Rodriguez was like, "Fine, we'll go off and make it." You know, <laughs> because the one, in, uh, the one in the one on Netflix doesn't have Machete, but um... no, it's um, in front of Planet Terror. Yeah, and then when Planet Terror ends, you had um, Edgar Wright's "Don't," which was um... yeah, 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 "Don't," yeah, that one, yes. And then you had Eli. Um, Eli Roth's uh, Thanksgiving, which is yes. a... Uh, yes, 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 Uh Which is just a slasher set at Thanksgiving, which he keeps saying he's going to make, but I don't believe it. Now he's going on mainstream. Yeah. So pretty much it was... So pretty much, like, it's the same thing. It's just probably my husband remembered what, what was before Planet Terror and not, mm. like, after it, probably. Yeah, and some of the end at the end credits where you've got the flashes of like uh, the the China girls, the the little headshot uh, bits. Right. Um, some of those were different because you had a shot from uh, Thriller, or they call a one eye, of um, of um, her with the shotgun and the eye patch, and that's why everyone suddenly went out and hunted down Thriller. Thriller right. nobody cared about until um, Grindhouse came out, and then was sort of like, I want to see the movie with a chick with a shotgun and the eye patch. That's the movie I want to go and see. <laughs> That's what Tarantino does. I mean, he gives us references and hints of these forgotten exploitation movies, and then obviously they get re-releases, and you know, it helps revive a lot of movies that otherwise would be forgotten. So, but um, so, I mean, over to just with the soundtrack though. I mean, what did you think of the soundtrack? Because I think it's one, of, it's one of the best. It's up there with like Pulp Fiction for myself. I think so. I mean, but I I like all of the soundtrack so far. Okay. Um, I, I've been like I think one of the things that's gotten me through a lot of Tarantino movies is the soundtrack. <laughs> it's definitely not the runtime. I mean, we had off air we were talking about this whole you know Tarantino's love for long runtimes and when it all started. And <laughs> my argument was I started from the beginning right after Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> but you believe that's at the end, so you know we haven't gotten to the end yet, so we'll see. But no, I like this one a lot. I think that it was it was really weird sometimes because it would kind of like I think because the movie was trying to go for like you would have these random cuts in between. Like there were really like abrupt changes in the soundtrack, yeah. or at least it would feel that way. And it it, it was kind of fun. I think when 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 the soundtracks would have those changes. Yeah, I I I think the soundtrack. I think any Tarantino movie so far, the soundtrack is probably my favorite part. So I have this no complaints good, of it here. This is a good one for the car, definitely. When you have like like tracks like "It's So Easy" and like "The Last Race," um, and then um, "Chick Habit" by Paul March, which plays at the end. It's just all good stuff. Um, we even get a sample of "Wu Zhao Shao Bei Fan" or "Dragon Claws" at the end, which I love the the, the ending. We have like this very traditional 
kung fu movie thing where the killer blow is like the last shot of the movie and it like comes up with the end so the fact he used uh this part of the score from dragon claws was just like oh that's just perfect right there <laughs> although i'm sure my my pronunciation that was just probably had kim going no that's not how it is at all no, so that's okay okay well check me out then but yeah, I mean the the big payoff obviously of our first group is that we get to see that head on crash not once but four times because we've got to know how each of our victims die and uh, <laughs> that leg flying with the air just gets me every time. But it's it's so like it's the one thing that you know is going to happen because of the you know because because it's just because of you know there's so much focus on the the leg and the feet <laughs> hanging out of the car the feet. during this whole conversation. Oh, yeah, that opening credits where it's just the uh, the girl's feet on there. It's so like why did it take us so long to realize Tarantino had a foot fetish? <laughs> and it's just like the whole opening credits. It's just that you're just sat watching some girl's feet. It's like, okay. Um, but yeah, the, the feet thing, I think, really came to the forefront with this one. And everyone was like, oh, I get what you're doing. Because it would, before it always been pretty subtle. Um, I don't know if it was subtle. I mean, we, it might not have been an opening scene, but... <laughs> it hadn't been I mean, so blatant. <laughs> subtle is a little bit like, yeah, maybe I'd argue Pulp Fiction is a little subtle. Hmm. But I mean, when you get to when you get to like movies, um, I don't know, like uh, even like when you get to Jackie, was it Jackie Brown? No, mm, I don't know. I'm having a hard time now figuring out. Maybe got, like um... I don't know. It's I don't know if it's subtle. <laughs> I I see at least at least I seem to always notice it. But then I don't know. It's because you know we did look at the trademarks before we started, so that's why maybe it stood out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, the only direct whose feet are a trademark. I don't know. I suppose if we did Russ Meyer season, it'd be like buzzy buzzy like Amazonian women <laughs> would be his <laughs> trademark. <laughs> the ultra vixens that he gave the world. Um, that big car crash. I think it's it's. So pretty spectacular. No matter how many times I see it, especially yeah. um, the old tire to the face, I think that's right up there with like the log from Final Destination Two of like really bad ways to go in a car. I have yet to see Final Fa- Final Destination series, so I have to say it's not going to fare well for yourself because you, if you, especially or if you like live anywhere near where they have like high logging activity, I'll just say that much. Well, I, I don't live anywhere near high logging. <laughs> I don't know. I just assume Canada's so, like... There, a, there's some all, form like, of logging, but we're not like on the east, on the west coast. And that's where the logging happens, I, I believe, at least. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're not... We're all the hydro power. That's what it is here. <laughs> Hydroelectricity. That's yeah. our forte. No, the car crash was really, was really well done. And even like when, when you go through like all the how everyone dies and stuff i thought it was i think that was like when i really started getting into the movie was when you see that whole setup to the car going and then him getting into you know getting ready to do the head-on collision with them and whatever yeah. um, i think that's when the movie really kicks it off because the whole time it's kind of like the whole conversation is like he's trying to be he's he, you know he's really laying it thick that he's a dangerous person and these girls are just kind of like, whatever, you know, taking it like a, you know, he's just an aging dude who wants attention type of thing, right? 
And yeah. I just, I just thought it was like, you know, that's how you get killed. <laughs> you got to believe it. When people look dangerous, they possibly are. <laughs> you know when people are faking it. You know, that's the problem with movies nowadays is when I watch it. You know, you know you're messing with someone who's dangerous, and then you still go for it. Yeah. He didn't get that facial scar working in admin, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, stuffing his face with nachos. I have <laughs> to say, Tarantino throwing his hat into the food porn ring with the nachos, they did look pretty damn good. The nacho grande platter. I was like, oh. Whether it's up there with, like, uh, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, and that opening credit is to be debated, but no. The natural platter did look pretty damn good. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so yeah, obviously uh, they meet their demise and um, we have the scene of the sheriff there who, let's not forget, it's the same sheriff from Kill Bill and Dust mm-hmm. Till Dawn and Planet Terror. So that's a fun tie to keep everything in Tarantino's little movie world that he likes to live in. <laughs> and I'm trying to remember who it is that bloody is now. Uh, Michael Parks? Yes, it's obviously Michael Parks uh, playing the sheriff, uh, this time seen with his son, who we saw in Kill Bill 1 actually as well, so it's kind of nice that they they kept that going as well, so um, but uh, yeah, from here we're obviously introduced to our second group of girls, um, who are as we said, are our more tomboyish group, and um it's fun as well when you look at the diner scene you can actually see Stuntman Mike in the background as well mm. so it's kind of like when you see Vincent going to the bathroom at the start of Pulp Fiction yeah. and then you realise that uh, when the film comes back around that he was there all along it's not like a, a different day that was something I only noticed this time so <laughs> I don't know how many I've seen this film a few times and for some reason I just completely like missed it every other time but like Something just caught my um, attention and just noticed him in the background there. But it's again these are another fun group to hang out with. How did you find the dialogue here? Because I know Tarantino was like very complimented for like the dialogue of his female characters here as being pretty realistic. But obviously, I I don't know how it uh, how it read to yourself. I don't know how realistic it is, but I mean it was really because um, I don't talk like them no. <laughs> but, and my group of friends didn't talk like them I thought it was pretty natural like that's why I said like in the beginning where I like the second half a little bit more because I thought it was a little bit more believable although there was a whole lot of f-bombs and that got a bit annoying but <laughs> but um I mean that's just me <laughs> I don't you know I don't usually use that much and I, I avoid it so it's a little shocking when <laughs> you watch something that's like really really like potty mouth group of ladies there yeah um but it's i don't know i thought it was pretty realistic i thought it was pretty fun like the things that they talked about and because all of them were um they're kind of in that kind of same world type of thing like they all have they're they're all i think part of some kind of behind the scenes type of thing right so it's, it's interesting to see them all sit together and talk about the different dynamic that they have with each other. Oh, yeah, definitely. When you, like, look at, obviously, our first group, and we're just basically talking about boys and making out and yeah. being badass bitches, and uh, we, talk, we meet our second group, and we've got, like, 
Kim and Zoe, who are sort of like the gearhead tomboy sort of chicks, and then their counterparts are sort of like, oh yeah, when you were watching like John Hughes, like Pretty in Pink and stuff, we were like watching like Vanishing Point and Daddy, like Crazy Mary and all these like car, car smash movies, and that's where they're so excited about the idea that they get to drive like a re- replica of Kowalski's car from Vanishing Point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Vanishing Point, but. I haven't, no. It's so good. It's um, basically he has to drive a car um, across country and is just leads into this like manic sort of like uh, car chase across country. It's really really good. So if um, you got excited seeing uh, seeing the Dodge Charger in that, definitely go and check out Vanishing Point because it's awesome. Also, uh, the car that they're originally driving up has the uh, moniker of Little Pussy Wagon because it's the same color scheme as the Pussy Wagon from Kill Bill. Right. Zoe Bell, this is her first real sort of acting role. She was originally the stunt double for Uma Thurman in Kill Bill 1 and 2. Basically, we came to like doing uh, this, doing doing this film. Tarantino really wanted to do a film like with her and to have her basically playing herself. And she sort of insisted on doing all her own stunts in the film because, you know, that's her trade. And I think when you look at this film, and especially how it's shot, and the fact she's actually doing it, you realise that she has got fucking balls of steel. Oh <laughs> yeah, it, sure. it's it's the most scariest part of this movie is when you look at some of the stunt work that is happening in this film, and especially because when the the way the film is also being shot, you're like you are part of the chase. You're not like the yeah. bystander watching cars whiz past. You are part of this chase scene. So you're seeing like these cars like going full pelt down the road and she's hanging on the bonnet and it's like, God, there's there's gotta be easier ways to earn your money. <laughs> but I would say probably for for a stunt woman, probably this is like a walk in the park. <laughs> I don't know. It might, a, like, it might be an easy day for her, you know, co- compared to the the shit that she has to do usually. Probably. I mean, you start off your plane ship's mast, which is where yeah. you're hanging on the front of the car with just like belts. Belts is the only sort of like thing to stop you sliding off. You're then engaging in a high speed chase where cars are colliding into each other. Where again, you're basically looking like you're going to get thrown off the bonnet at any given moment. Um. It's just such a thrilling chase sequence, and the fact that we have that original sort of part to it, and then we have like um, where where they basically set out to humiliate the killer, because normally it's sort of like you know you survive the killer, and that's sort of like um, where the film would end. But now it's all like no, they're going to go after the killer, and they're going to humiliate Stuntman Mike, uh, which is just so uh, so interesting. It's, it's great when you see that dynamic shift. Um, yeah. so that uh, the the one that, so the pursuee becomes the pursuer, um, kind of it's and it's always fun when you switch the roles like that, kind of like on Buffy where it's like rather than the monster chasing the pretty girl, it's the pretty girl chases the monster, and here it's sort of like rather than Davidson's in distress, it's like the killer who's in distress, um, because he's now got these three angry ladies um chase after him in this like battle of the Dodgers. So. <laughs> But yeah, if you this this one's great for the car porn. It's just if you like American muscle cars, just like going yeah. top speed down desert roads, and then it just ups the ante by going onto main roads, and you've got other cars involved. It's it just constantly manages to up the ante and just like 
I can't come watching like Fast and Furious now, where it's just like old CGI, and it's sort of like just these huge leaps of implausibility, and I just like ah, oh, it's like I hear these people like just rave on about these movies. It's like I just do not get the appeal, and. Well, you know, I get the appeal, so it's okay. I know you like it, but I mean, there's only so many times you can hear someone talk, say no, about I mean, family. I don't, I don't have an issue with appreciating, say, a movie like this, where yeah. I think, you know, the car scenes or whatever, this one does great. And I, that's why I really like the second half, because once you get after that first part, the second part jumps into that car action really, really fast. Um, and, and that's fine. But, you know, when you talk about other movies, I know, I know Fast and Furious gets shit on a lot, because... As it keeps yeah. going, it really uses now is just mostly it's just all CGI. So in the beginning, I don't think it was CGI. Like the first few movies, it wasn't. But then you know, I think once you started the fourth or fifth one, it was pretty much it started getting into CGI territory, and then it went into kind of like, you know, just testing your boundaries on how far of you know you you're willing to believe this whole yeah scenario of whatever ups, ups, absurd scene. And I think that, you know, it's a different class of movies, right? You can't put Tarantino next to Fast and Furious and compare the two. It, it's just unfair. Because it's not the same category of movies. You know, Fast and the Furious, you go in. I'm not going to go and dissect a, a Fast and the Furious mm. movie. What is there to dissect? There's nothing. It's a, it's a mindless entertainment movie. With, like, it's very little depth. And I'm going to admit that. But I still enjoy movies like that. But Tarantino is, like, has has that kind of depth to it because while I thought the movie here was kind of like, <laughs> you know, as I call it, n'importe quoi, which is like, whatever, then, then it's kind of like, I don't really, I don't really see a ton of depth with it. But then, you know, it's because I don't have that knowledge, you know, once I was looking, doing more research on it, I realized, you know, the movie was not, was, you know, paying homage to muscle cars and it was playing homage to yeah. um uh slasher films type of style and and all those all those little things right so there there's so much more thought that goes into this movie while i mean i still think it's you know i like i think i like it because i can ex i can accept it because it's a shorter film than this normal like tarantino thing but at the same time i i think that you know there there's still like I always have movies in the beginning. The pacing is always my biggest issue. But, you know, that's just me. It's, it's okay. just a me problem, I think. <laughs> I did, some reason I just died. I always have a, a lot of fun with this one. And I think, I think it's, as I said, because it is, you know, actual yeah. cars happening. And it's... I, it, I think you get so used to... You get kind of numb when you watch, like, CGI car chases after a while and you see I mean that's why Mad Max did like so well when Fury Road yeah. came out and it's all like actually being done which is really no surprise because when it comes to like car smash movies the Australians are like well above everyone else um, I mean even like you look at like their coming of age like dramas and stuff they've all got like car chases and stuff they just really love cramming car chases and even when you like look at uh, things such as, like Frog Dreaming which again is like another like kids on bikes movie there's a really good car chase in it for like no apparent reason um, so the fact that uh, it's it's clearly where he's drawing his homage he's drawing his inspiration for in this film and I think it really sort of shows when you got some of these moments and it feels like you watch like the Mad Max movies and stuff and I think that's this is yeah. because it was it been so long since the scene like a proper car smash movie that 
had this come out, it just felt like, oh my god, this is what we were missing. And then when you see like, I think, and when we talk about the fast moves, I agree. It's like I think it's about fast six where things start getting stupid. Um, where we've like got the tank scene and gra- apparently gravity no longer applies to anyone. Yeah, of, of course. Yeah. I mean, no. I mean, at a certain point, it gets it gets truly, truly ridiculous. But I think that once you've invested your time into all this, you might as well tough it out to like the tenth movie type of thing. I think they were greenlit to, for ten movies, right? Uh, like when they were at seven, they got greenlit for three more. So that was the reason why you know even after all of this, they I guess I guess they needed to prove that even without. Um, even after, you know, that even though Paul Walker had, you know, died, it was, he was still... <laughs> real, real comfy way of putting it. supposed to be a little more sensitive. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, even though Paul Walker passed away, go. unfortunately, <laughs> um, he, like, they could still make the movie, right? From yeah. that. And obviously, like, it goes on ridiculous paths. And, but I think at this point, it's kind of like an Expendables type of deal where... You just have a lot of cameos of people and big stars. Everybody seems to want to show up for a little bit. And I think, you know, it, it, it's definitely <laughs> <laughs> the substance is not that not there too much. But it's, it's a fun ride overall. I think that, you know, the, the, the concept of it and like you kind of as a fan of the franchise, I always just want to see how far they're going to go, how much further they're going to go. And like how ridiculous can the scenes get, right? And I, I mean... Never ask how far anyone can go. You realize that when you like looked at like when I looked at the last trailer for Fast Nine, I was just like, okay, <laughs> sure, that's where we're going next. Fine, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, no, I mean, obviously, um, when you use practical effects and using the real deal, you can really see the difference, and the quality of the film is different. I mean, here. like you can really see the struggle and and there's a lot of authenticity to it especially when you're talking about zoe bell being you know tied to the front of the car (laughs) she's so awesome and that whole scene (laughs) she she is so awesome and i love that she's such a tough chick because they really boast how tough she is in their conversation and then through all of this and she gets thrown off the car and then she just kind of like, while well, everybody thinks she dies, she pops up. <laughs> and I, th- I thought that scene was hilarious, like the entire bit. And in reality, because, I mean, you have you have these pretty great actresses in mm. general. Like the whole crew is pretty good. Rosario Dawson, I mean, it is early in her career at this point, I believe. And and like, you know, um, Tracy Toms, didn't, I don't know how big Tracy Toms got, but I mean, I watched a few movies with her in it. And if you like Code Case, she's in that. Yeah, no, 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 I yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I liked her in Rent, so that's where I saw her. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, she has a really great singing voice, so I I'm really sure. liked her doing Broadway. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she did, she did. Um, I think she's one of the actresses who she did the Broadway musical for Rent, and then she also did the movie. That's interesting because uh, in different yeah, roles, Masiero was in um, the original version of In the Heights, and she was also in Rent as well. So I don't know okay. if Tarantino went and saw Rent and was like, right, gonna cast Macy Harrell, gonna cast Tracy Toms. So <laughs> just... yeah, but I mean, I I really like them um, for you know. So for me, it was pretty nice to see everyone um, here. Yeah. 
And I mean, even the little the little part that Mary Elizabeth Winstead got, because I mean, I never saw her before. Like I never knew of her before. Um, Cloverfield, that one. Uh, what was it called? Ten, ten, ten. ten. Oh, um, is it? Yeah, another one. You mean the follow up? Um, I think yeah, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, Ten Cloverfield Lane. I can never place her. This is one. I know she's she's like in Scott Pilgrim as well. Um, yes, and she's in. That's true. She is. In she's Scott also Pilgrim. in um, Die Hard Four as well, and it's like yeah. I see her in things, but I can never place who she is. She is like um, oh um, thingy who's in um, the boys and Judge Dredd, um, Carl Urban. She's like Carl Urban. I can <laughs> I, for like the longest time I couldn't place who Carl Urban was, even though he's been like in many things, and now he's in the boys. I have like my one reference point and Mary Elizabeth Winston <laughs> I just remember she's the girl, ex-girlfriend in Scott Pilgrim and then there we go yes but yeah she's um, here as a cheerleader reference to the swinging cheerleaders because they're making a cheerleader movie which uh, her friend being such a good friend is says that they're actually making porn instead so that he can steal Bud's Dodge Challenger <laughs> But yes, Buck who we see in, the, in this film is actually the same Buck who we see in um, Kill Bill as the um, attempted rapist guy. Yeah. Oh, really? So, yeah, obviously Zoe Bell's gone on to have some, do some really great acting work um, as well. She was in Whip It. She's in a couple more Tarantino movies as well. So, she's um, it's great that she managed to transition into not being a stunt woman, but also into a stunt woman actress as well. A couple of fun facts here. The duck that we see on the front of Stuntman's mic uh, reappears in the Takashi Miike Western, um, Shijuku Western Django, where Tarantino plays a gunslinger, um, and later an elderly gunslinger who's got a motorized wheelchair whose lever is that is the uh, rubber duck uh, mascot. Yeah. Um, the mm-hmm. ad- It's actually a nod to a Convoy, um, because obviously... Chris Christopherson's character is called Rubber Duck, and in top its um, hood ornament is the uh, the duck that we see there. But um, yeah, that brings us into tonight's episode. Thank you as always for listening. If you haven't done already, please do uh, hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. Uh, you can check out our blog, which is moviesandteapodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find all our complete, all our previous seasons. You can also find our. Fr- uh, Friday Film Club, where every Friday myself and Kim both pick a film to highlight and uh, sometimes themes, sometimes there's not. Either way, it's a chance for us to explore more movies that we love. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram and uh, you know, let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what your favourite Tarantino movies are. We always love to uh, hear from you guys. Um, but um, Kim, what's coming up next? Next up is um, 2009's Inglorious Bastards. So yes, uh, Tarantino's um, take on the World War Two movie, um, his Men on a Mission movie, which inspired by the Italian uh, Boys on Adventure movie of the same name. But uh, we will be talking about that and many other interesting aspects of uh when we talk about we look at Inglourious Bastards in our next episode. But until then, thank you as always for listening, and we will be back next time. I said to talk about Inglourious Bastards, but until then, good night. <laughs>
Thank you.